This is Bros and Arrows, uncut, unedited, and unsponsored. Let's get on with it. And we are on today with Aaron Snyder of Kafaru. And today we're here to talk to him about stick bows and all their fun nuances. Aaron, you there? Yep, I'm here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, this is your second time around. We had so much fun on the first one, we had to get you back on. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been crazy. It worked out good this morning. I'm getting ready to fly out for a, another hunt. Frank's going to some shows, and it's been, uh, been busy, so I'm glad it worked out this morning. Oh, cool. Where are you headed? Back to Alabama? Yeah, yeah, back to Alabama, then Florida, I guess. It sounds like we might go on a pig and alligator hunt if I get it done early enough. And then I got to come back and speak at a CTAS, the Colorado Traditional Archery Association or something like that. Anyway, I got to come back and speak at that here. So it's going to be pretty busy. And I, I just got back from Michigan from the that Kalamazoo, the Great Northern Expo thing. So How'd that, that go? Cool. Yeah, was it fun? It's good. Yeah, I didn't have any old guys throwing tomatoes at me or anything um, in the crowd, so that was good. Ah, uh, shit. I just listened. Actually, last night I was listening to your uh, podcast with Compton. Them guys, for, for, for a bunch of old guys, they're really with it. Yeah, yeah, that guy was up there, too, at the show, Dave, and he was he was super cool. And Actually, he and my wife talked forever. I had to go. I was helping the widow guys get the bows out and set up and everything, so um yeah he came by and visited he was he was great and and uh yeah it seems to be coming around i mean even though the gold farts still don't like me and things i say that they're kind of realizing doesn't really matter because it's the newer crowd for what they thought would steer people away from traditional archery they're learning it's it's not um if that makes any sense you know as far as getting a newer generation in yeah it does and i mean they can fight it all they want but when it all boils down to it it's going to be just the appeal and getting new people to the sport. Yeah, that's what's most important to me. I could honestly, I don't really, when I say this, me, you know, I mean it with respect, but if I, if, <laughs> if uh, an older or younger gentleman is not into getting newer people into traditional archery, I don't have any time for you anyway, so I really don't care what you think. You know, my thing is traditional archery was kind of going, I don't want to say dying, but you know, there wasn't, the grasp on it that maybe there should have been or or what i've with you know the hold is taken on me so i'm all about spreading that and letting people you know getting people involved seeing if they like it and that's my main priority yeah it, well exactly and i mean that's kind of what it's all about is and especially like i have two two children and uh, i have a daughter and a son and they both love archery and there's no greater joy to see other people enjoying the sport that you love put so much into um and in your in the twist is is trad archery i mean for the truth of the matter was dead it really was you kind of brought and some breeze some new light life back into it um because there wasn't people waiting in line to to buy stick bows yeah yeah i hope i am you know i think south kind of got it um re, you know kind of going a little bit when he started when he transferred over and that got a uh you know a little bit of um, win back in the sales. And then, you know, I'm hoping that, um, I mean, I get, you know, five, 10, 15 emails or messages a day about guys selling their compounds to, to swap over. So yeah, that excites me. I hope I'm, I'm doing uh, a good job with that. Yeah. I mean, I think you are. I mean, I took a lot more note of traditional archery when you picked it up because I mean, there's no doubt you were killing shit, a lot of stuff with the compound. And then to kind of see you doing it with recurve, it's kind of inspiring. And it makes seeing other guys that make the transfer successfully at least gives you that ray of hope that it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got, you know, like anything, you get out of it what you put into it. It's definitely uh, possible. Um, I, uh, it can be humbling at times for sure, but. Uh, you know, when you finally do make it happen, it, it's certainly um, worthwhile. I'm, I'm popping yeah. ibuprofen here. I My feet shot out from under me in the ice this morning. I landed on my back. <laughs> Awkward. Um, I laid there. I knocked the wind out of me. I'm having a feeling my lower back's going to be stiff. I'm doing some preemptive action here. <laughs> I think I fell like five times yesteres. This ice in, in cold is ridiculous. 
Um, it, it's it's insane. Are you guys getting hit with the bitter cold out there too? No, not now. That's actually probably why I fell. It's just that or just over freezing. I think a little bit melted and then it was, you know, slick. Yep. Yeah, it was uh, – when I got in the car this morning, it, the, it was negative five. That's discounting the wind chill because um, who God knows what how cold it was with the wind. But, uh, yeah, it's been bitter around here the uh, past 24 hours. Not real fun. Yeah, yeah. And, I, yeah, I'm not real big on the cold, to be honest with you. So Nah, nah. I, I'm uh, – and you're heading the right direction, Alabama and Florida. At least it's tolerable down there right now. Yeah, it looks like there's kind of a heat wave coming in, so I won't even have to bring as much cold weather clothing as I thought. So yeah, well, what was it last night? We have some family in Florida, and my daughter's on her. She she got an iPhone, much to my dismay. Um, she's looking at the weather, and she's like, "You know, Dad, it's like it was like some ridiculous temperature in Florida." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know. I, I see that. It would be really nice right about now." So that'll be good. Yeah. But hey, oh, yeah. well, why we, we got you on here and we, we were kind of alluding to it and then we got off track, but uh, I got you on here because, so you didn't make the switch to the, the trad bow. Everybody knows that. Well, at least they should, unless they're living under a freaking rock. Um, and you did it with success and you're killing animals. And from my opinion, you can go to your local pro shop or your local shop and Maybe there's somebody there that's killing shit with the, the trad bow, but more than likely there's not in most areas. Um, I know my area, there's really not. And I've looked to you for a lot because I'm starting to shoot that RK1, so I'm shooting a soulless bow. Um, and it's got striker limbs, so that adds a little bit, but it's the uh, new breed striker combo, and it's sweet. Um, but I'm having the typical setup issues, working through it, struggling. And uh, I got I picked up your clicker technique, and that thing is – it's just bomber. I love that thing. It lets me adjust my brace height. So what I want kind of, if you, if you can, is kind of take us through um, taking a bow out of the box and what you do with it to get it to where it's shootable. Gotcha. Well, normally I'll, I'll set up uh, – you know, obviously follow – I mean, they all go together, basically the same, but follow the manufacturer's instructions as far as screwing, you know, when you're putting the limbs together, whether it's an ILF system, which is a system where the limbs slide into the riser or a bolt-on system or whatever you've got. But once you get all that together, I get the string on and I, I generally um, go off of a manufacturer's recommendation for the brace height. Very rarely does it stay right there, but I set up the brace height to roughly in the middle of what they say. So if they recommend for that length of bow, eight to eight and a half, I'll go eight and a quarter to eight and a half, knowing the string's going to stretch a little because every bow's brace height, every bow is going to have a brace height that it likes per person. So I do that. I generally reserve uh, the center serving out of the gate. So I cut, I haven't had the best of luck even after market serving staying together. So I cut that off. I figure out obviously the, the size of center serving, I mean, whether it be, you know, 21 thousandths on down, um, you know, whatever arrow you're shooting, you want to make sure the knock snaps on to the serving, uh, not loose to where it falls off, but not so tight that it like snaps really loud because that can really cause some is issues with arrow flight. So I reserve it with the, the correct center serving. Um, you know, is that, at, at is that, that point, feel, is that the most important part when you're setting this, the center serving? is actually knock fit more than anything else well yeah i mean really that's the only thing i mean obviously i cut mine shorter um kind of way to pick up a couple three feet per second than what comes out i know how much room i need on that thing so i uh you know i throw a square on um i get to where you know i know where my knock height's going to be roughly and then I go above and below and mark it with a Sharpie so I know my starting point and end point is going to be with my center serving. Yep. And then, you know, that's all important. But then, yeah, you want to make sure that I can't – and this is with a compound too. If you have knocks that snap on too tight, it can cause tuning issues that can really have people scratching their heads. 
then it's really as simple as your your center serving's too big, um, you know, and, and it's it's just staying on the string a little too long. Um, layman's way to explain it. And if it's too loose, it can just fall off, right? So you don't want yeah. it too loose either. It's got to be a happy medium. Yeah, and and so you're not, and that doesn't have any uh, correspondable effect, like with being too tight or too loose. It's just kind of erratic aeroflight, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you think about it, the quicker you can get that knock off the string, the less that string's affecting your arrow flight. So if it stays on there, you know, when you have a bad release, it's staying on a little bit longer, what makes it potentially a little bit worse. And by no means am I a stick bow master. I'm going off of a compound here in my limited um, experience, you know, a couple years with the recurve, but everything so far has been about the same it just multiplies anything, you know, even on a perfect release, everything might be fine, but very rarely is there a perfect release. And so it just enhances any erratic uh, issues you might have when it's too tight. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. I mean, from the compound world, I completely understand that. And then my stick bow experience is super limited. Like I'm like a newborn baby, um, shitting myself still. Uh, I read that shooting the stick bow and that's where I've gleaned most of my knowledge from that. And then from listening to some of the stuff you've done and talked about. So we get, um, we get the, you get the center serving redone and then are you setting, you're just setting like a temporary hard knock point or are you, are you tying it in right off the get go? No, cause I tie in nail knots that I can twist up and down to adjust my knock height. Okay. So, you know, I say that it takes a minute to get the nail knot figured out for people, but yeah, I did a video. You can type, you just type it in nail knot and it, it's easy to tie. So I tie two on. I uh, generally, I shoot three under. So I get my talk, top knock point. I'm shoot. I, I usually start about five eighths knock high. Um, you know, I, I get those nail knots on. I pull them hand tight where I don't have to, um, you know, like, uh, um, I, I want to make sure that I can spin it clockwise or counterclockwise to adjust my knock height, but not so loose that they could potentially slide. And so there's like a real happy medium. How many, um, how many nail knots are you tying? I do, uh, as far as wraps, I do 10, um, you know, so 10 wraps, both for the top and the bottom. Um, okay. so two nail knots and then 10 wraps for that specific portion some guys will do more um i know a couple guys do like eight really small but i I do 10 and you know i keep a good enough gap to where i don't get knock pinched between those two nail knots um Mm -hmm. and then you know once i obviously i burn the ends where i cut it um on those nail knots i get that clean um you know i shoot a clicker so i generally don't put the clicker on initially just for the simple fact i know even an aftermarket string is going to stretch so at that point, I generally am in my garage or at the range, and I just fling some arrows through the bow. Um, a, not a ton, 20, 30. I just shoot the bow, and I'm listening. I mean, this is how I do it. There may be people listening in, and they're like, oh, that's stupid. But this is what I have found the easiest is I'm shooting that bow. I know I started at a higher brace height because the string's going to stretch. So as I'm shooting, and I'm also listening, knowing the string stretching, my brace height's probably changing a little. Um, And then, you know, the bow with the brace height changing can have a twang to it. It can be a little bit louder. And so I'm just flinging some arrows, 15, 20, 30, 40, good form, just kind of watching arrow flight, getting the string stretched in, because it makes no sense to start tuning out of the gate with a string that's going to stretch. So I don't fire through paper initially. I know in five eighths knock high it's gonna be close enough and you know, kind of get some the the string seated and stretch some. Once I've done that, I kind of start getting down to business a little more. Um, where I'm looking at either bare shaft tuning or paper tuning or both. I'm getting my clicker on there. And normally with the clicker, what I do is I uh, um I'm gonna go through how I rebuild the clicker because they get a lot yeah, of questions. Yeah, because that's exactly how mine's set up and it's it's awesome. It works great. So I, I eyeball pretty much where the clicker goes co- according to the taper of the limb. Um, 
you know, I think on the package it says seven to nine inches down. I, you know, I put some guys put it really a lot lower towards the riser than mine. I got mine a little bit higher, but um, I clean it off with alcohol, the limb, you know, stick it to it, get it centered. Um, I take the blade off and all of those components the clicker comes with, either the cricket clicker or the clickety clicker, whatever one you get. Everything that's in that gets thrown away. The little string, the little bead jobbies, all that stuff gets taken off. The only thing I save is the base mount, the blade, and then where the blade and those little balls uh, go through the blade. There's a little bell is what I call it. Yep. Um, that goes through the blade. I pop that bell off. Um, I take D loop material. Um, and I've kind of screwed around with this. I was actually using hundred pound braided musky line, but whatever cord of choice, not the cord or the beads that come with the clicker. Cause it will beat the shit out of your bow. And yeah, it's a pain. So get rid of that. Yeah. Um, I put that bell on. I clamp it just tight enough. I burn the end of that D loop material or you know what else works really good is caulking cable not to bring up a crossbow but the caulking cord is even better um yeah I burn that to the bell so it can't come off you know yeah and then I I slide all of that through the blade so now I've got the that little bell the cord the blade everything's ready to go you know I screw that all back on the bow and then I have my length of D loop just hanging there I eyeball where I want it through the string, you know, so I unstring my bow. I run it through, making sure that it's in line, not twisted up. If it's a little twisted, I may add or take away a twist on my string, and I've got that semi-ready. I can kind of eyeball to where it's close enough. You know, you don't want to have it so short that you bend your clicker blade when you first draw. Give it some slack, and I'm going to get – basically, I'm getting my 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 clicker – set up for length or close enough to where I can at least start kind of micro tuning it. Yeah. Once I get it fairly close, I'll cut about an extra inch, um, you know, where it goes through the string, I'll give myself an extra inch and I, and I burn that. I'm going to cut it and burn it again, but I burn that so it doesn't get real flayed and slap everywhere. Um, once I get that burnt and everything's ready to go by that time for me screwing around with the bow, whatever, the string has probably stretched quite a bit. Um, and this is a pain and this is just how I do it initially. Now I've got to take the clicker off after, if I know I'm going to twist it up if it needs to be done. Or I don't take the clicker blade off. It's set up correct, but I, I keep shooting. And this is all dependent. I mean, work with me if this makes sense. If the bow got quieter as the brace height went down, I don't twist up the string. If the bow got louder as a string stretched, the brace height went down, I know I need to add twist to the string. And I generally do that, you know, before I actually put that clicker string through. But all of this happens in the first half hour of me having the bow 30 minutes or 30 yeah. to 45 minutes. Do you, uh, so if it's stretched, so obviously as the string stretching as you're breaking it in um, and it, the bow quiets, will you, will you do a, a secondary check to make sure you're still within manufacturer specs or at this oh, point, yeah. are you okay to go out of, will you actually take a bow out of the specs if it Don't seems know. to be working better? Yeah, I, um, well, I say that I have on a couple bows. Generally I call the manufacturer cause they're all so cool to deal with and yeah. I'll just be like, Hey, Man, you're saying eight and a quarter. This thing's firing money at seven and seven eighths. Is that going to cause any damage or you know, whatever? Because let, let's say in a perfect world, um, you know, eight and a quarter is where it ends up at, right? So I've got eight and a quarter on my, um, my brace height, my clicker cord set, my string isn't stre is done stretching. And I start the tune process, right? Or what I consider the tune process. I micro tune my bow by my brace height. So I go up or down in brace height to, to take a knock, a stiff knock or a weak knock tear out of my bow for micro tuning. Gotcha. And so, you know, there's gotta be a little give in there. Um, you know what I mean? So I'll go up a quarter or down a quarter doing micro tuning just to see if I can take a tear out too. And, and typically you're, you're finding what tear will that take out? 
like a, a horizontal or so a vertical tear? Horizontal. Um, the knock height. So just how, you know, the knock height and the knock height's funny because it, you can get bounced back, right? So you can be tearing knock high, but you're actually knock low. Yeah, false right? read. You, you, yep, you get a false read. You can be ripping your string down away from your face and getting your arrow to bounce knock high left. I mean, there's a lot of different stuff to, to worry about. So the knock height part is the easiest, and that's what I adjust first. So I may be tearing two inches left, but I'll, I'll screw with my knock height to get it to where it's a flat tear left or a slightly knock high tear left. Yeah. Um, and then that's when I'll start, you know, screwing around with my – and that's obviously a two-inch tear left is a lot – that's when I might start to micro tune, but you know, mm, there's a lot to go through and it'll probably get confusing. Once, you know, we kind of didn't go into the arrow portion of it. This is how I set it up when I already have arrows that I think will work for the bow, meaning I know where it's cut inside of center. I know the spine I have, I know the poundage that's coming and I know that that arrow plus or minus a little bit of weight up and up, up, up front, it's going to work. You know, when you're starting with a brand new bow and arrows, once I get to where that 5.8 knock height is, you know, you haven't even shot your arrows yet. You're going to have to, you know, maybe um, uh, either cut your arrows a little bit long for the tuning portion because you may have to cut them down to stiffen them up. And this is where really people get screwed up too. And I don't know how much in depth you want me to go through this. Well, you know, it, it's, it's funny because as we're talking, I'm thinking, I'm like, good Lord, we could talk for eight hours about the, all the, you know, all the little intricacies. I just think just like a basic gist today of like to get guys started. And uh, I mean, it, it, you know, obviously with time permitting, we can get you back on and talk more in depth about certain aspects of the tune. But I, I think just mainly for our listeners, just guys, because like I said, there's a lot of guys that are picking up trad bows with absolutely no what? idea where to start. Let's do a, a hypothetical of what I'm getting every day. Um, I'm either the two things I'm, I'm going to buy a, I don't know, Samick Sage, whatever. That's a pretty yeah. standard beginner, you know, $200 bow. Um, it's 45 pounds uh, or I'm ordering a brand new custom bow. Those are the two questions I get. Um, you know, if you're ordering a custom bow and you've never shot before, know that there's a very good chance you may have to buy a second set of limbs because you're going to get stronger and probably end up out pulling initial set of limbs. Um, so keep that in mind. But as far as the tuning portion goes for the beginner, getting a Samick Sage, if you're pulling back about 45 pounds, if you're draw lengths around 29 inches, roughly, um, that, let's say your draw lengths between 28 and 30 and you know that you're going to shoot an average let's say 150 200 grain point weight and a brass insert you know so you're gonna have two to 250 up front yeah you know at 45 pounds you're probably gonna be able to get a 400 spine arrow to fly depending upon how long it is so if you're totally green and no one knows what they're doing at the archery range get your arrows and you can you know grab some different and they're not expensive points right field points yeah and so you've got a full length 400 spine shaft. You've got your bow. You're ready to go. Just take that full length shaft and you can screw in 150s, 200s, or 250s and see if that is correcting your arrow flight. So if you have a full length shaft and a 200 grain point and everything being equal, you, you take a shot and that thing kicks way left, right? Or you, or you bear shaft it into the target and it's way left. You know it's super weak. So maybe you want to shoot a 200 grain point, you just cut the arrow down, right? I mean, so if it tears, tears way weak, take an inch off the arrow, you know, and it's easier to do it off the back end bear shaft so you don't have to keep ungluing and regluing the point in and heating it up. Um, and again, this does get confusing, but the 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 length of the arrow and the weight of the point are what you're going to need to change to make that arrow fly correctly because the bow is a static weight right like the bow you can only micro tune you can't unless you swap out limbs you've got what you've got yep. and the arrow is what you're going to need to do and and people get really confused about this 
I was just talking with a guy who's killed more shit than smallpox, who dove down the rabbit hole. He was getting erratic tears. He cut his arrows down too short because his tear was not correct. It was a false tear or a false reading. And then he's got a bunch of arrows. Thank God they fit me. I'm buying them from him. Um, that don't work because he didn't go through all these different variables and he was getting bounced back. So he's thinking it's tearing weak, but in reality, by the time he got done, he stiffened it up so much. He almost was able to overcompensate the bounce back, which is crazy when you talk about the archer's paradox or how much the arrow flexes. So there's so much to it, but really just to simplify things, get 150, 200 and 250 grain point and start with a full length shaft and that shaft being in your spine category or close, and then start screwing in different point weight or cutting down the arrow shaft until the, you know, the arrow flies true. And, and now, believe it or not, that is way simpler than a compound. It just sounds worse. <laughs> well, it, it sounds worse because in, in, in a, for a lot of guys, it's a lot of playing around. Um, there's no cookie cutter you cut your arrows of this length here's the spine that will work here's the point weight that will work and uh go shoot and you can tune a compound around an arrow a little bit more than you can the trad bow obviously oh a, a lot and i try to explain <laughs> that to people guys that tune a, a compound in my opinion correctly leave the center shot until all else fails dead center and tune the arrow to the bow not the bow to the arrow that's the best way to do it. And, and that's a lost art. People don't understand how to do that with a compound. They just start moving the rest around. Well, yeah. you can do that when needed for micro tuning, but in reality, you should be changing the point weight and cutting the shaft down one or the other and keeping your center shot the same. And if you can't get it perfect, then you start adjusting. Sometimes you'll adjust the yoke or the, the arrow rest where, where the, you, all you've got if you're shooting off the shelf, all you've got is the arrow to adjust. You can shim the shelf out with a toothpick, and there's all kinds of, you know, cockamamie stuff guys do. I've had to do it. Um, but, you know, in reality, you're just cutting the arrow down to stiffen it, or you're adding point weight to weaken it. And at some point in there, you're going to figure out as you shoot what you like. So for me, I like as short as arrow as I could possibly get um, for the most part because I want my point on to be out there by 40. I shoot three under. I want is, you know, I want my arrow, now my, my recent setup's a little heavier, but I want my arrow to weigh at least 575 grains. Um, and so that usually leaves me at 56, seven, eight pounds, roughly, with a 350 spine arrow, cut down super short with 225 to 300 grains up front, depending. And that's ballpark numbers because, you know, if I cut my arrow down an inch, right, to let's say 29 and a half, right to where the broadhead's touching my finger, I can get away with 250 to 300 up front. If I leave it an inch longer than that, okay, I'm going to actually take my, you know, I'm going to be able to go with my point weight down from 300 to let's say 225. And I'm just robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know, I'm doing one or the other. Yeah, and, as in what you want to get out of it. Right. If I want heavier point weight, I can get, cut my arrow shorter. If I'm not worried about that and I've got a pile of 200-grain broadheads, well, then I'm tuning that arrow around that 200. If I've got three <laughs> dozen 200-grain broadheads, I'm tuning that arrow to fit that 200-grain broadhead. So I'm screwing a 200-grain field point on that shaft at full length and I'm cutting it down until it flies right. Cause my poor ass can't go buy more broadheads. I've got to make that 200 grain broadhead work or you can mess around with the components as well and add weight to those, you know, it, yeah. it depends on the system you're using. Now, do you, uh, when you're, when you're monkeying with this stuff, do you try to do that with a bear shaft? That way you can cut from the rear well, of the arrow. Now keep in mind when I say bear shaft, that's just going to get you close if you don't have a wrap and feathers or at least the quills on there or cutting off the quills and at least the spine on there. Yeah. Because that changes too. So I get it close with a bear shaft. Um, and I say close, I get it somewhat within a half inch tear all the way around somewhere, meaning whether it's tearing knock left or knock right with a bear shaft, as long as it's a quarter inch tear or left, 
yeah, I'm not, I don't worry about that. I can tune that out and I can torque with my arrow and the, you know, I shoot five inch feathers. Um, I can tune that out. The feathers will compensate for it. Obviously you want a bullet hole. So like right now I've got a couple bows coming in three weeks and I know on that bow I've shot one, it's a widow. I've shot one before and I had a 29 and a half inch or 30 inch arrow and I had 225 grains up front and I was good. Well, right now the arrows I have, I've cut down and I added point weight. So ideally, since I cut them down, that stiffened the arrow. I added point weight and it weakened it. Ideally with those widows cut three sixteenths past center, mean they take a stiffer arrow. My arrow should fly within reason with me micro tuning. I should get those things to tear bullets. At the very least, because I've got 300 grains up front now rather than 225 like before, they may tear weak. If they tear weak, I've got, you know, because I don't want to buy new broadheads, I got a couple options. I change the component system on my arrows and I put a lighter weight component system because right now I got a 100 grain component system. That's one. Two, I buy all new broadheads or pester people to send them to me. I don't really want to do that. Or I group tune it and maybe, okay, maybe at six feet, my arrow's not a bullet hole, but at 10 feet it is. That might be something I say, well, I don't care. 10 feet's good enough. Yeah. It, it, it stabilizes and I'll start group tuning at 40. And if I can get, I mean, people say that, you know, this won't happen, but I, I mean, I have definitely found with five inch feathers, with a weak or stiff tear, a slight one, I can still group broadhead, bear shaft, and field point at 40 yards, no problem. Um, well, yeah, the you know, and, feathers help a ton. But if I'm getting the bear shaft to hit within reason, it's not necessarily the feathers, right? So if I'm, let's say I'm tearing weak, okay? So I, you know, if I'm tearing weak, it's coming left out of the bow, I'm probably going to hit to the right by 40 yards, right? Because my arrow's yeah. coming out left. If I'm tearing stiff, I'm going to hit left. Well, believe it or not, if you're tearing stiff, you raise the brace height. If you're tearing weak, you lower it. It's backwards of what you think it would be, or it, it has been for me. So I'll micro tune that a little bit. Um, you know, that's one way to do it. Let's say I'm, I'm totally screwed. I cannot buy different broadheads. I can't buy different um, components. I may take the arrow wrap off, um, you know, if I need, because if you add weight to the end, it stiffens the spine. If you take away weight to the end, it weakens it. Yeah. If I need to weaken the spine up, I may not put an arrow wrap on. If I need to stiffen it up, I'm definitely going to put a wrap on there. So there's different ways to tweak it. There's also, you know, the string, you know, whether you're running a Flemish twist, depending upon the strands, the material, Every bow is going to like a different string. I mean, I shoot mountain muffler strings. They love, I mean, my, I've, I've had great luck with those. Um, you know, but it may be a, a simple thing where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm tearing a little bit weak. It's straightening out by 10 yards. My bear shafts are hitting pretty damn close to my field points at 20 and 30. You just, you might have to call it and just say my arrow's not going to fly completely perfect if money is in the way and it does get in the way. Oh, you absolutely. It's not cheap. Buy everything. If you're shooting high quality components. Yeah. And, you know, right now I've got a stainless um, well that with the arrow I shoot, obviously it's a little different because I'm, I'm part of the arrow company, but, you know, screwing around just the time alone. If I've got four dozen arrows pre-cut and glued, it might just be I'm too lazy to change out all the components <laughs> on those. And I just don't care that it tears a little weak out to 10 yards. If my broadheads are hitting good, that's the most important thing, right? In a perfect world, of course, I want everything perfect. But if I'm dropping bombs at 40 or 38 or whatever my point on, on ends up being, and I'm shooting everything from a Valkyrie, a Cutthroat, an Iron Will, and a XXL or a Tree Shark, and they're all hitting at 40, well, I don't have a whole lot to complain about, right? Now, if your group's the size of a stop sign at 30 yards, you're going to have a hard time fine tuning things, but if all of your arrows are hitting inside that stop sign at 30 yards, you really can't say your broadheads aren't hitting good. Yeah, you know, true. that's where you kind of have to 
take into consideration how good you're shooting to how good you're grouping. <laughs> well, <laughs> your I, I, anyway. I, yeah. And, and I've just found, I mean, the, <laughs> it's funny because the RK one was what I'm shooting. It, it can outshoot me or, you know, well, well, well outshoot me, but I'm, I got my arrows, uh, to shoot well. Um, and I was, sh I'm shooting the RK one at 40 pounds with a 500 spine, uh, black Eagle X impact. And then I'm shooting, uh, Brent's Valkyrie system with, it ends up being 272 grains out the front. It's a 250 point with a 22 grain collar. And, uh, the arrow shoots at money. However, I'm not. And, uh, I'm trying to shoot three under is what I want to shoot. And I'm getting a nasty tear, uh, knock high tear and played with it, played with it, played with it. Check tiller did I, tried everything, switched the split finger to try it. And it shot bullet holes, both fletched and bear shaft. So there's just a lot of different ways. And, and a lot of times, when you're just starting out, you're, you're well past that, that initial learning curve. Um, guys need to fo maybe even focus on form with maybe a cheaper arrow, get it close, work on their form, their release, build the fundamentals before they really get into an expensive arrow. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I don't think that's a horrible idea. And you know, it depends on too, if, if, you know, if I'm, Again, and I'm not the be all end all expert. If I'm by your side in good confidence, I can probably say, dude, you can order this shaft because we can be cut we can get it to work. Right? Like Yeah. You know, if if you don't know what you're doing and you're buying a hundred and ninety dollar a dozen arrows. <laughs> yeah, that's intimidating. But I've got the clums down the road. I've got enough experience now to where okay, for example, these three fifty spine arrows, I'm right on the border of two week with anything above 250 grains up front and I've got them cut down as short as I can. Now, seeing as how the whole world is engulfed in the anti Ashby and pro Ashby theory. <laughs> and I make jokes about it cause I just go out and shoot shit. Right. I'm like, I don't know guys. I, I would of 6% more front of center mattered. I don't know. They all died the same, but I'm also a, a, a gear junkie and a tester. And so I talk with Brent at Valkyrie and I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll try heavier front of center. So having said that, I thought, well, I'm going to add more point weight to these three fifties. That's going to weaken them. They're going to be way too weak, but I can nudge out another inch of my arrow and cut it down. So I did that. So my front of center went higher. Not that, and again, I don't care, right? I just, I'm going to do it just to see. And yep. so now I went from 18% and I've got it all the way up now to 23%. FOC. And I've never checked FOC in my life until literally in the last <laughs> month just to, to screw around with it. Um, my arrow setup, a byproduct is going to be, I'm going to have relatively decent point weight to begin with. I always just wanted a heavy arrow. So with all that being said, once I got that 350 spine to fly you know, I was originally flying great out of the widow with 225 up front. And I shot, you know, I'm, you know what? I don't know how much stuff I shot, but 15 animals or something with that system with very lethal results. So now I got a wingard and I'm shooting that. And it was uh, about the same poundage and everything, same, you know, pretty much same everything. I want, I, I was able to take that cut that arrow down, add that point weight. Well, I've got some widows coming. So ideally, I really don't know what I'm getting, but I know what I'm getting, meaning maybe they won't fly. I am at a point now to where if those arrows tie, tear, tear weak, I'm either heating up a shitload of inserts and reinventing the wheel up front on my component system, or I'm getting, I'm going to be getting a whole lot of lighter broadheads. So now that you is one you of those try to build out your shelf. I'm not a big fan of that because of the way I aim. I'm glad you brought that up. The way that I aim uh, at farther distances and the way that what my body's used to as far as throwing the, the football and you get chuckle puppets that hop on YouTube and throw in their two cents every now and then and try to confuse things. But it's pretty simple for me. I look down my arrow at farther distances <laughs> 
And I put that at the bottom of the leg, at the knee, at whatever, just behind the leg. Yeah. And, you know, according to my drop, and it goes in line with the arrow. If I build out the shelf or take away the shelf, it changes that. Yeah. And so, yeah. And actually, I had this guy the other day. I know he's probably held too much as a child, maybe not enough by his dad, too much by his mom. He was chiming in about, oh, so it's just, you just hope at close distances. Cause I said, I shoot instinctively. And I said, no, I just look and shoot close up. And I use my point. I'm like, it's not exactly instinctive. Obviously there's always some kind of point of reference, even if it's in your brain, right? You can't just go you can't just hand a guy a ball and have him drilling dudes at 40 yards away without practicing but my mind and how my aiming systems worked i don't look at the point of the arrow at closer distances but my body's so used to that shaft being in line and everything else if i shim that out one way or another eventually my body would get used to it but it's not something i want to mess with yeah exactly and in close distances um your mind's doing computations that you don't even realize it's doing and a hundred percent. Yeah. And if you looked at the shaft, you, you probably go, Oh shit, I'm going to shoot the dirt in front of my feet. And, uh, oh, and that cost me an animal. Cause I did do that. It cost me a mule deer. I looked down. I ne- should have never looked down. My mind got involved and everything went to hell in a handbasket. What'd, what'd you end up doing with that when it, when it did? I shot high cause I'm a dumbass. Um, lifted up. It was uh, I was. It was me and Frank were in the high country. He was a few miles from me doing his own thing, and I dropped down onto these mule deer, and you know, couldn't have designed it better. I know what is that, Frank? We're at thirteen thousand. Yeah, we camped right at thirteen thousand. Dropped into these cliffs. Bucks were on a bench, hooked around them, and it was rolling hills. So I was able to duck down and 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 get good cover, and I got to thirty two yards from them as close as I could get. And uh, long story short, the buck stood up, started walking to the left because he probably saw the top of my fat head trying to figure out what I was, drew back. And I, when I went to full draw and hit my anchor, I'd never been so certain that I was going to tag out opening day. Like a <laughs> dummy, I looked down at my point and keep in mind the deer's body from his body line down, his legs are covered. Okay, so... At that distance at 32, I know if I'm just below the kneecap, it's smoke city. I'm, I'm good. Instinctive or not, I'm money. So I look down at the point like a dummy. Well, I'm in a berm six feet. Well, whether I wanted to or not, my brain got involved, and I probably automatically aimed high, and I shot over the top of them because I couldn't look at the feet. It was a very good learning experience, and Tom Clum and other guys had told me that would probably have actually – Brian Broderick told me, he's like, you got to knock that off. He's like, that will cost you. The deer will be bedded. Well, it did cost me. I missed the deer shot over its back. Well, obviously that only happens once before you start to figure out a different method, right? Or, yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? Like, know what to do. Well, with all of that being said, the one thing I definitely want to be is good left and right. And since I've shot so much with three sixteenths inside a center, canted slightly aiming down the arrow, my body is just used to that. And it's not something I really want to adapt to yet if I don't have to. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. And and everybody's got to figure out what works for them. Go with it and forget about what everybody else is saying. Cause most people just read a lot and don't do a lot and they just want to chime in and be assholes normally. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I I've said it before. I mean, everybody, you know, as you're writing your, book of traditional archery right um in the beginning you're really probably plagiarizing like i plagiarized the clumps right everything i'm saying is what they taught me and then i'm still probably plagiarizing them in but i'm writing my own thoughts on what i'm plagiarizing meaning it's everything they taught me but it's my my own system now yeah Um, you're, you're manipulating their system making it your system and what works for best for you and the way you hunt Right, because like Tom or his sons, none of them do what I do, how my setup is, which is pretty much instinctive um, without getting into the semantics of that shit, right? It's pretty much instinctive out to 30 or so yards. And then I use my point after that. And my point on generally meaning I draw, go to my anchor. If I took take my insert and put it on the dead center of the animal at 40 
or 38, depending upon the setup. I let her rip tater chip and that's where it hits. And inside 35, if I'm in the armpit, it, it goes where I want to. If I'm at 32, I'm at the kneecap. Um, and, and that's worked for me now that it did cost me that animal. But in reality, um, and that just took a little, that's more of a mental thing, right? I, I, I should have been able to mentally get my brain out of that. Well, and, uh, you how know, do you, not, how do you mentally either. prepare for something like that until it happens? And with ex, <laughs> it's going to sound stupid, but with excellence, you, you need experience to, to create ex, you know, to create, to excel at anything you need experience. And without that, that experience, how the hell would you ever have known? Yeah, well, I tell you, there was no excellence going on that morning, and I screwed <laughs> up, and it, it only ha it only has to happen one time to where, you know, in reality, I think subconsciously, I just bumped my bow up, you know, probably. Um, you know, maybe I just shit my pants and lifted my head. There's a, a numerous amount of things that can happen, but what it what definitely happened was I knew my brain got involved, and I didn't want it to, and I should have just gripped it and ripped it, um, and would have been better off. Now, Maybe I missed for totally different reasons, but it doesn't matter because I certainly, if it happened again, could miss for that exact reason. And so, you know, obviously I worked on that when I got back. I mean, and no different than, you know, it, it's not a, it's not a secret that I don't do as well at close distances as I do at far, um, farther distances. Meaning, I'd much rather shoot something at thirty to forty than I would at eighteen to twenty-five. Um, right now, I'm, I, like, like right now I like shooting things at eight yards to 11 yards. Well, the, <laughs> when I was on that Alberta mule deer, when I came up over the hill, I thought it would have been 32 to 40 and I was just going to shoot it. Well, I came up over the hill, you know, I don't know what the stock was a mile, something away, whatever. And yeah, well it wasn't, it was at like 20 or 22. And I mean, honestly, I looked back to see if I could scoot back I because I, <laughs> and, and this is crazy because I've shot in the high two seventies on indoor rounds, but it's a controlled environment on, uh, on the blue face. So you reference point. You know, yeah. I mean, eventually you got something, right. Whether you yeah. want to admit to it or not, you you know, I can put my point on something, whether it's the target below or whatever. Your, so your mind's, your mind is amazing at, you know, you, it, it screws up the first one, two, three times and it, it figures shit out quick. It'll put your arrows where they need to go. Right. So, you know, and, and this is, that's a, a very good point. I've got one arrow. I've got a giant old 300 pound mule deer and I'm within distance now where I'm like, Ooh, danger, danger. Okay. I'm close. So I, I looked and I thought, you know, it's windy enough. I'm just going to keep getting closer because the closer I get now, the better off I'm going to be because um, I can't go to 32. I can't do, I'm stuck here at 2022. 20, I didn't range it. I just, you know what I mean? That's about what it was. So I just started getting closer and I think I ended up shooting it at 15, 16 yards and still damn near missed it. I, I ended up shooting the bottom of its heart lung area. It died quick, but you know, that was those two circumstances, me getting the, just my ass handed to me in the high country almost missing that big deer in Alberta. I mean, people are like, you got it. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I almost didn't get it and almost didn't get it. Not getting it is enough for me to go back to the drawing board. And I'm, you know, well, you not, have to, you know, whatever that, I mean, I mean, that goes along with, and I've heard you say this before, you're very goal oriented and you're, you, uh, you want to challenge and you want to strive to be better. And, uh, I don't know. I would never accept, well, good enough. Well, good enough. I killed him. But then next time you're looking at the buck of a lifetime and you're like, shit, I should have solidified that a little bit more. Now, here we go again. I'm going to shit myself until I hopefully make this shot and get maybe lucky again or whatever you may want to call it. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I went back, I talked to Tom and he's like, yeah, let's get to the range. Let's practice. So I'm shooting in tree stands. I'm shooting instinctively as much as I possibly can at every 3D target known to man at angles, sitting, whatever, just letting her go. And then I got to Oklahoma and just went ham sauce on deer. And it was awesome. You know, these deer coming in, walking, totally instinctive. Some of them are stopped, you know, you know, whatever, like 
it wasn't a thing where I ever worried about my point, uh, my point on, I just shot. And so, you know, I, I mean, and, and you did there's well. all kinds so, of these. Tra- I mean, you have yeah. to shoot these bows. Like I can, and with me and you have talked here recently, I can pick up my compound once a week and shoot the shit out of it and shoot the center out. If I don't shoot my recurve every day, I'll be lucky to hit the goddamn target. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, there's all kinds of motivational quotes you'll find that'll say something about a adversity doesn't make the man, it defines him and it whatever and all this other goofy shit you hear. And the reality is, is if you don't take um, your ass whoopings in stride and learn from them, you're just not going to get anywhere. And so, I try not to get down on myself, although I'm pretty sure Frank could see it in my eyes. I was about to stab my eyeball out on the high country hunt. <laughs> you kind of go back and reassess and, and practice, right? I mean, so after that Alberta hunt, although it was a big success, first day, first stock shot this big deer, in my mind, I'm like, Jesus, that could have ended up bad. So I just practiced a lot when I got back, and, and Oklahoma went, you know, really well, and I was able to um, – you know, in a short period of time, get ready for that and practice shooting instinctive a lot and, and not show up to the range and shoot, you know, instead of shooting 20, 30, 40, you know, I'd go to the range and shoot 18, 24, 32, 37, 41, just back and forth. Yeah, I was using my point on at farther distances when we shot those, but I shot 80% sub 25 rather than 80% uh, past 30, if that made any sense. So I was practicing a lot more close up. Yeah. Well, and that, cause that's your, that's your, your weakness or your kryptonite or whatever the hell you want to call it. So you, you want to strengthen. Oh, Tom Clum would set the, set the 3d courses up during the league to the purposefully <laughs> close. So I wouldn't shoot as well because when he shot, man, I can't remember. He had a far course and I shot insane when, I mean, crazy good and the week next week after he set the course up closer i shot 40 points lower on a closer course i mean that should be you would think a giant blinking light saying hey dumb shit stop shooting past 30 right but you know it took an an about losing an animal you know about missing one for me to really start practicing closer so (laughs) that i mean it's it's counterintuitive to my trout experience because the further I get, the worse I get. Um, now, and I'm, I'm, I'm a noob. I'm, I'm like total greenhorn, but I don't see that being too, you know, that's the similar experience with most guys. The further they go, the worse it gets for you. It's kind of the opposite, which is kind of, it's unique. Um, you know, a lot of guys can shoot lights out 20 and in, but you take them to 25 yards and it looks like they're shooting a shotgun with a, a cylinder choke. Um, what do you, what do you think, do you think your compound, cause we talked about this in, in the, 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 the trad shooting, strengthening the compound shooting and then kind of to reverse that, do you think that you're shooting better at further distances because of all the compound shooting and the controlled really focused no, it's on just form? The, the point, I have that point on, I you have a reference that's, point. That's, that's your sole savior out there at far distances. You're using that point. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. I mean, Without a doubt, that is the reason. I mean, I've got that point to look at. Now, I will say, thank God, after the, you know, high country and and Alberta experience that I'm getting to where now that is not the case to where I'm I'm, I'm as good as close as, you know, not as good, but getting there um, as I am far away. You know, the big variable is it doesn't matter how good I shoot in Alabama at farther distances. I just, well... I shot a doe this last go around at 32 that had no idea I was there. But it, I mean, honestly, in Alabama for me, 22 is about as far as I want to go because those deer get out of the way. Now, yeah, a bedded, you know, without getting a lot of hate mail, a bedded mule deer at 40, I'm going to shoot it. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I mean, if I can get closer, I will. But I'm, I'm probably going to take the shot. I feel that confident. I shoot that good of groups. But a feeding animal probably not going to shoot that one. One that's alert, definitely not going to shoot that one. I'm going to have to get closer. So there's always variables. And I mean, in the end, you want to get as close as you can. But 
I mean, if something's at 30 yards feeding and has no idea I'm there, I'm not thinking getting closer. I'm going to yeah, shoot. No, it all I, depends I on what the animal's doing. And this all kind of goes back around the confidence in equipment and, and, and with the trad bow, it's confidence in yourself as well. I mean, you can have all, you can build a, a bomber system. And if you can't shoot for shit past 25 yards, don't shoot for, don't shoot past 25 yards. Um, but obviously having a quality quality component set up properly from the beginning will help you to extend those ranges past the um, preconceived ranges that everybody thinks, well, with a stick bow, I can only shoot 25 yards and that, that's it. You can shoot further. You just got to practice and have your system built properly. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the number one exhilarating thing about the stick bow is, you know, getting close. Getting I mean, close. I'm the first one to say it, but I also like eating deer steak so i mean i'm not going to compromise a stock where i'm sub 35 for the greater good of getting closer if the animal's behavior dictates i can take a shot at 35 i'm going to shoot if it doesn't dictate that then i'm going to get closer it's common sense but do it wrapped up in that and get you know it very gets very aggressive with uh the distances and everything else yeah. And, and I mean, you're out there, you're hunt, you're hunting to kill an animal and, and if you can do it efficiently, then why not? That's yeah. Always, yeah. And I, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> I'm learning constantly, you know what I mean on this stuff. And a lot of this stuff from a compound does transfer over meaning, you know, an alert animal at 35 to 40, I feel, um, is a shot you shouldn't take in comparison. This is a guy that can shoot well and has ice in his veins in comparison to 50 to 60 um, shot of an animal that's not alert because that animal's not going to move at 50 to 60. The noise is going to be less from the bow. This mm -hmm. is with a guy that can shoot. People shouldn't just be winging arrows. But I've missed more shots, 35 to 45 on alert animals with a compound by far than I have 60 to 80 with animals that weren't alert because uh, they just didn't know what's coming. Now, the stick bow's the same way, within reason. I mean, those arrows are pretty slow. There's a lot of things that change real quick when that animal's alert to where there's a shot that I would take without blinking an eye, you know, at 12.05. And at uh, 12.13, many things have changed. And I'm afraid to even draw the bow at any distance because that animal's so jacked up on Mountain Dew. <laughs> and you just got to know that situation. Yeah, well, and, and that comes from experience and and you said it countless times. I've heard you say it about, um, you know, there's shooting and then there's also understanding the animal behavior and hunting and, and uh, actually taking animals and, and, and killing them and taking advice from people about some of this stuff gets silly when they haven't killed shit. Um, you kind of got to look for your resource to be the correct resource for what you want to do. I mean, if you want to shoot blue face targets at 20 yards, maybe look at a guy that can shoot indoors. But if you want to kill animals and that's your goal, look for guys to look, you know, glean information from that have killed animals with the equipment you're using. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I've said, I mean, you probably must've listened to the podcast. I said exactly that. If you want to become a tournament archer, you probably don't want to listen to a hunter a whole lot, right? Go listen to a guy. Exactly. winning tournaments consistently and if you want to be a killer go talk to that guy and then obviously in the end you do want to listen to both right you want to be able to shoot and be a killer uh but there's going to be certain things that okay jeff flander super close friend of mine not exactly a great shot right he's actually horrible <laughs> but the dude killed a ton of stuff so there's things i pick up from him that have nothing to do with shooting but have a ton to do with traditional archery yeah. Then you take, oh, I don't know, whatever, the clums or someone else that can shoot really well. My buddy Paul, Paul hasn't been super successful um, hunting, but he's got some of the greatest form and one of the most knowledgeable guys in the world. So I ask Paul tons of questions because he's probably like elevated rests. All right, he's going to have probably tried or know about every one, the possibilities, what to do, because I may have to shoot veins up in Alaska. Well, okay, he may never have shot veins at an animal, but he's probably shot veins practicing to see. Then I'm going to have to ask a guy who's lived in Alaska. I call Tyler Friel. He's like, dude, I'll never shoot feathers again. Just not worth it. 
And so you got to be pretty smart who you're taking advice from rather than just, well, like I'm reading this Dr. Ashby updates right now on Archery Talk. And a lot of these guys are friends and I know they've shot stuff. Some of the most adamant posting on here one way or another may have only shot three animals in their entire life. Why on earth would you listen to a guy preaching pro or con Ashby theory that really hasn't ever done? I mean, you think about it. It makes sense. Just because a guy runs down the street, you don't take advice from him on how to run a marathon, right? It's not credible, not credible advice. No, you're exactly right. I mean, and it's, it's using common sense and people have trouble doing that. So, I mean, that's just, human nature anymore it seems yeah yeah and i just i i worry about i just worry about people taking advice from um you know bad sources and hell that bad course source could be me and if it's me i apologize i just i hope that people understand that um there is a lot of good advice out there but just be you know willing to kind of weed through it and uh and, and take the good and, and kick out the bad yeah, exactly. And, and well, I mean, I haven't, uh, you haven't steered me wrong yet. So we're on, I'm on the right track. I'm getting there with this, this trad bow and it's, it's, it's fun. I mean, it is, it, it, when it all boils down to it, it's a, it's a lot of freaking fun to just fling arrows. Um, but, uh, yeah, you gotta be, you know, careful with the advice you take. And I don't want to keep you too long today because I know you're busy and I know you're leaving and I know you got a shit ton of stuff going on. But uh, we kind of, we, we went and went on this wild, wild ass tangent. And um, I think we got some basics for, for our listeners here. And obviously uh, they could also tune into your podcast at Kafaru Net. And there's some, I, I picked up a ton of stuff on there um, to help get me started in the right direction on things. And uh, I'd like to get you back on if we could and maybe talk a little bit more about the arrows. Uh, we could talk a little bit about the day six stuff that you're getting involved with, with Broderick and uh, mm-hmm. maybe helping people, maybe doing a little bit more in-depth review on how guys can use, how they, they need to tune their bows with the arrows. Cause I think that in itself is its own little podcast. I think we got people started and uh, I mean, if you got the time, I'd love to have you back on and talk more about that and helping guys understand the dynamics of the components and the weights and the length and that and how it, how they can tune their bow using their arrow um, and the dynamics of those. Yeah, no, that's fine, man. When I get, um, you know, just when I get back from Alabama, um, you know, knock out another one. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm sure you'll be doing uh doing your thing down there and posting here and there i'll I'll keep an eye on it and then once i see your back uh, if you remember shoot me a text when you know you're going to be good or i'll get in touch with you and try to get something set up i know your schedule's insane um and then uh yeah actually i just uh, what i was picking i just picked up who uh who does the kafaru net ig uh kafaru's me dana and frank yeah, I just well, Frank. There was a Frank was in on there with the uh, with ASAT this morning. I picked it up and reposted. Oh, Kefaru cast. I that's Kefaru cast. I posted that. That was on shed hunting trip. Did you take that picture? Yeah, I've got a lot better ones of that day though. Um, I like that one, but there's actually quite a bit better ones. Well, it was it looked pretty good. I picked it up, reposted it this morning on ASAT's Instagram, um, and then I talked to your Frank. famous I, Frank. Frank said, yeah. Frank. I shot him an email. I'm, I'm trying to get him on here. I want to, I want to talk, talk to him about his coyote killing expertise. Yeah. He's hell and Jesus on coyotes. I've seen that. He's really knocking them down. Hopefully I can, I can get him to find some time in his schedule and get him on here. I'd like to talk to him about it. I was listening to him and uh, Molina on Kafarnet. Yeah. He does it. He does a damn, damn fine job as, as hosting the Kafarnet too. Yeah, no, he's funny. Once you crack crap o- crack open the shell, he's pretty funny, dude. Y- yes, yeah, he's he's quiet. He, he uh, uh, I I listen to Kafarin out a ton. Uh, it's actually my favorite podcast besides my own here. Um, 
in the uh, you guys were talking with uh, Joel Turner and Frank came on and he's like, uh, there are pills that will fix things. <laughs> it was he just out of the blue he came on and just dropped the one liner. Um, yeah. Oh and, yeah. And I, I'll tell you what I haven't. Uh, I've read a little bit of Joel's stuff and looked at some of his stuff. He got some pretty good stuff and but uh we'll we'll get you back on Aaron. We'll talk about arrows and the day six arrows and stuff which you're newly newly tied into and uh we'll just wrap it up here today and let you get on with your day. Cool, sounds good. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh dude, I I, I appreciate it. Um I'm very honored to have you on here. I appreciate your time. Yeah, no no problem at all, man. Take it easy. All right, you too. Good luck down there in Alabama and I'll talk to you soon. All right, sounds good. All right, bye.